in every country. Treats. You know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture Lecture Series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We will be providing full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners so that you can listen at your convenience and keep up to date with new developments in arboriculture. We'll be releasing a new podcast about once a month for download. We recommend that you subscribe to the series so you don't miss a single topic. If you have a favorite arboricultural topic that you would like to learn more about, please contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, the host of this series, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's lecture is by Dr. Seth Geikema from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Dr. Geikema is not an arborist. He is a professor of geography and environmental engineering. He will be speaking on trees, hurricanes, and risk. This lecture was originally presented at the Trees and Risk Symposium, which was held at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory in February 2009. So I'm going to first give you an engineering perspective on what we mean by risk in the engineering community when we say risk. Typically risk, we say, deals with three things. What can go wrong, with what likelihood, and with what consequences. So this comes from, it was phrased this way in the 1981 paper. Uh, risk has a long history in engineering, starting back in the 40s and 50s in the electrical engineering field, moving through uh, aerospace, nuclear, into civil and structural design. My background in engineering is civil engineering, together with a PhD in risk analysis. And risk is traditionally measured as some function of probability and consequences. Again, I apologize for the conversion issues here. But note that this does not imply that risk is measured as an expected value if you're quantifying it. Well, how do engineers tend to measure risk? One way would be to look at the worst possible outcome. And you see this in some areas of, say, civil engineering, where they're using traditional things like the probable maximum flood, which is a rather odd term. Um, But how bad could it be? What's the worst possible thing that could happen? The problem there is that you can always imagine something worse. So it's a little hard to define that one. You can look at the probability of a loss. So if you look at, say, a financial risk on a project, you might be asking, well, what's the probability that I lose money on this project? Which is also good, but it doesn't tell you how bad it is. So we're not looking at consequences there. We could just look at consequence of loss. How much would we lose if we lost money on a project, for example? Okay, that doesn't tell us anything about how likely it is. We could look at expected value, which you'd say is just uh, probability times consequence, sum over all possible outcomes. Well, that's getting better, but we still haven't captured how much do we actually care about those losses. So one way to do that is to do what's called expected utility. This is a lot more complicated, comes out of the decision analysis community. So now we ask, how much do we actually care about those outcomes? Not just what are the outcomes, but how much do we care about them? How bad is it to, say, lose $10,000 versus $20,000? $20,000 may not be... Uh, twice as bad as 10,000. 
We can go further and then look at full probability density functions over outcomes. So now we're talking about probabilities in a full distribution over the outcomes. And then we can make it even more complicated and say, but there's a lot of things we don't know when we do that. So now we have to talk about what's called epistemic uncertainty, which is just a fancy term for things we don't know. So there's lots of different ways that engineers think about risk. So let's look at a simple example. Uh, so I moved into a new house about a year ago and looking around the yard, and I noticed hmm, we have a leaning blue spruce tree here. The previous owners had some interesting ideas on landscaping. Um, it's overhanging the yard. It's cable stayed to a neighboring maple. Well, let's look at the possible outcomes. So let's assume a 10-year time frame. The tree could continue to stand, provide screening, shade, and food for birds. I'm a birder, so I like that last one. Uh, the tree could fall, causing no collateral damage or injuries. That, that's feasible given the configuration of the backyard. It could fall damaging the house, maybe. In 10 years, it'll get big enough to, to fall into the house with no injuries. The tree could fall and injure my child, no damage to the house. Or the tree could fall into my child and damage the house. So when we start thinking about risk, we have to think about outcomes. So essentially, we have to look at the target. But we also need to start thinking about probabilities. And engineers tend to represent these things, at least at a first level. And again, I apologize. That's supposed to be Y-E-S, not Y-E-N-S. Um, engineers look at this with what's called an event tree. So here we're looking at, at outcomes, and, and we represent them as an uncertainty. So there's some uncertainty. Is this tree going to fall or not? Some probability P that it does in those 10 years, some probability 1 minus P that it doesn't. So I'm assuming things are binary here. If it falls, does it damage the house? Yes or no? If it falls, does it injure the child? Yes or no? So an event tree is a compact representation, well, reasonably compact representation, and then we put our outcomes at the end. So in this case, the tree fell, damaged the house, into the child. So we have injury, damage, and uh, tree loss. Here, the tree fell, didn't damage the house, did not, in, or did damage the house, but did not injure the child, so we have damage and tree loss. So it's a way to represent the possible outcomes and the probabilities. So you should ask, well, how do you think about probabilities? Those aren't the easiest things to think about. Typically, when an engineer thinks about probabilities, we think about there's, there's many different ways to think about these, varying from hard data to purely expert assessment. And you have to deal with a whole range of this if you're going to start, if you're going to try and quantify risk. So we can do field tests of similar trees. We could try and set up a similar situation with the same species and same basic configuration, pull on them and see what happens. Um, that's a rather expensive thing to do to assess a backyard tree. We could look at a physical model of a particular tree, for example, a finite element or a structural reliability model. I'll show an example of one of those from the literature in a minute. Um, a civil engineer would love that. It's a little complicated. We could look at an expert assessment based on physical measurements of that particular tree's properties. So now we're getting to something that's a little more feasible to do. Um, we could look at an expert assessment based on just a physical inspection. You get somebody who knows a lot about trees, they could probably look at it and give you a pretty good estimate. Or we could say, well, let's just leave it up to the facility owner, in this case the homeowner, to decide whether or not it's a risk. In the engineering field, we use all, all, basically all three of these approaches when we deal with systems. So because I was doing a risk analysis with NASA for the two Mars rovers that were up there and lasted a long time, and we've never really built that rover before. So we didn't have field tests of similar rovers. We try, but there's certain parts of the system that you can't test on Earth. So then we had to get into using expert assessment and things like that, and it's the best source of information you have. And in some cases, you have the same sort of situation with trees. Okay, so let's assume we can do that. What do we do then? Well, so we estimate our outcome probabilities. We estimate how those different outcomes and how much we care about them. How much do I care about my child being in injured versus my uh, house being damaged? Well, obviously, 
care about the child being injured a lot more. We then look at the probabilities of the different outcomes, calculate that probability distribution, and then determine if the risk is acceptable. If it is, we don't do anything more. That's the easy outcome. Now, if the risk is not acceptable, then we gotta decide what we're gonna do. And we start thinking about risk management options. Do we remove the tree? Maybe improve the cable stay? Put another one up or a stronger one? If there's, in some cases, you may be able to trim the tree and reduce the loads. In this case, it doesn't look that feasible. Or institute a no-play zone. Just don't let the child play under the tree when it's windy or snowy or icy. Uh, so in this case, this, this illustrates we can, when we look at risk management, we can try and reduce the probability of failure. So do something that would change the chances of that tree falling. We can try and reduce the impact of the failure if it happens. So we say, we're not gonna try and decrease the probability of that tree failing, we're just kind of going to try and keep the child away so we don't have those bad outcomes. So those, those are two of the three general ways that you can manage risk. The third being uh, reallocate the cost to someone else through insurance. So you can reduce the likelihood, you can reduce the impact, or you can make somebody else pay for it, essentially. So when we think about risk management, that's the sorts of things we have to do. Now in this case, we decided we're gonna leave the tree and just not let our child play under it when it's windy. But he doesn't like to go out in windstorms anyway. Okay, so I said I'd show an example of finite element method. This was a paper in 2007, American Journal of Botany. They were looking at the performance of trees, in particular root systems and high wind events. And this one's interesting to me because you'll see in a minute I do a lot of work with uh, hurricanes. And they used two different soils. Uh, I believe that was clay and this one's sand. And they were doing what's called a finite element model, trying to look at what happens to this notional tree. And they, they just had this kind of blob, this leaf system up there, calculates the loadings trying to see, okay, how far does this tree tip and is it gonna fall over due to wind loads? So you cover your soil with a finite element model, you look at the root system, you look at uh, stresses and strains in the roots, and you try and estimate, okay, when are these roots gonna break, and then propagate that through the soil and see if the tree's gonna tip over, and you can do that sort of analysis. Obviously, you can't do this for every tree along the utility right of way, which is where I'm going. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about some of my recent work in dealing with trees, hurricanes, and risk to electric power systems. I'm gonna just talk about two projects, and the first one I'm gonna talk about pretty briefly, which is uh, looking at tree trimming and the effects of tree trimming on system reliability. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about forecasting outages during hurricanes and some issues we have with trees there. So with the first one, the, the trees and tree trimming and power system reliability, the goal was to try and establish some statistically rigorous link between tree trimming and power system reliability. And I should say, I'm basically an applied statistician, and I looked through the literature and wasn't completely convinced by what I could find in the, the peer-reviewed literature that this was a well-understood problem. And common sense says you should treat trim more often because that improves your system reliability. We wanted to see if we could measure that, because then you have a basis on which you can try and optimize tree trimming cycles and things like that. So we had a regression modeling of power outages at the feeder level. Um, the data was yearly outages, tree trimming times, so we knew the cycle, we knew tree, when trees were trimmed on every one of those feeders in this utility system. And this particular utility trimmed on a feeder basis, not an area basis. Um, and they did, for the most part, ground to sky with a 15 foot setback on either side. Uh, and then we had line distance and some other variables, population densities, things like that, so we could control for those. And we had about 1,600 feeders. But it was all under non-storm conditions. So when you start to talk to utilities, they distinguish between storm and non-storm based on how far off their uh, system average interruption duration index, SAGE, is from the long-term average. So what the utility was able to give us was say, we don't want to give you the storm stuff, we'll give you the non-storm non data. So we've essentially ruled out hurricanes, 
large thunderstorms, big ice storms, things like that. So this might be the harder case in which to show a relationship. Um, the result was still that more frequent tree trimming did improve uh, system reliability, that is, it decreased outage rates in a statistically significant and verifiable manner. So we could measure it, even when we got rid of the storms, which is where we'd expect, I would expect uh, to see a bigger impact. So when we do this sort of stuff, and this will be my only slide with equations, um, we have to do regression analysis. So when you think of regression analysis, when you take uh, your first statistics class, you typically see a linear model, which is fine if things are linear, but the real world fairly rarely is linear. So there's something called the generalized linear model, which deals with count data, like counts of outage events. So you've got to think about that. Now, if you don't like to assume that the world is linear, you can do what's called a generalized additive model. I don't bore you with that other than to say we have these smoothing functions that show up in there, and there's ways of fitting these. And then you can make life really complicated and do one of those, which is called a multivariate adaptive regression spline, which is a good way to make your computer work hard for quite a while. But they're very flexible models, and in some cases can give you much better insights and predictions. Okay, so that brings me to the second uh, project that I'm currently working on, and we'll be doing a final report later this week. So we're looking at hurricane outage prediction, and the idea here is that we'd like some method for estimating hurricane outages, both locations and severity, in advance of the storm. So when you see a storm 72 hours offshore, the idea is you can run this model and get an estimate of how bad it's going to be. And this was driven by um, this realization that recovery from widespread outages, these are major hurricanes, were slower than desired in the past, and a lot of it, in some cases, was because they didn't know how many crews to bring in. How bad is it going to be? It's very expensive to bring in outside crews, so you don't want to bring in too many. But if you don't bring in enough, you're going to have fairly slow uh, restoration. So what we were trying to do is develop statistically rigorous models to forecast outage and damage risk from an approaching hurricane. And again, it was a regression-based approach. Uh, sorry, the reference is not showing up in the bottom. You can email me and I'll give you the reference if you want. So I thought I had to show a pretty picture of a hurricane. This is Hurricane Ike. These are pretty big things. Um, <coughs> Obviously, the winds are the strongest in the eyewall area, but they're strong enough to cause outages throughout quite a bit of that area, uh, particularly under certain conditions. So what data do we use? Well, we have a lot of geographic data about antecedent conditions. And I should say my collaborator on this is a climatologist at Texas A&M University who studies long-term climatology. So we have soil moisture via a spatially interpolated variable infiltration capacity model. We have long-term mean precipitation, short-term deviations from that long-term mean precipitation, and land use land cover type. There's nothing there about trees. We'll come back to that. Um, what we have is things that we think, hopefully, are somewhat related to vegetation stress and the vegetation that may be there. Um, then we have information about the power system. Again, sorry for the, the formatting issue here. So this is exposure, what's, what's there to be damaged? So we have things like the numbers of poles, miles of overhead line, miles of underground line, number of transformers, and we're working at the, the scale of 12,000 foot by 8,000 foot grid cells that cover four states. So we have on the order of uh, 20,000 grid cells, and for every one of those, we have measures of each of these things. So it's not a small model. And then, of course, we have a hurricane data. We have a physical wind field or wind model that we run to estimate the local wind field at, every, at the center of each of those 12,000 foot by 8,000 foot grid cells. We can go finer spatial uh, if we need it. And then we look at radius of maximum wind, central pressure, and various radar characteristics that you can measure as the storm is making landfall. And we've got this from a number of past storms, I think we're 10 storms or so. And then we have records of what happened to the power system. Who was out, how long were they out, that sort of thing. 
This is an example of what the predictions look like. Um, I can't show the latitude and longitude because this is not finalized yet and the utility doesn't want that shown. Suffice it to say, this is, covers almost an entire state. Um, on the left, you see the actual outages during Katrina. And on the right, you see what our model would have predicted if we had run it um, in advance of Katrina making landfall. We don't have trees in here yet, but we can still do reasonably well. So we can pick up those areas, in, and I, I need to explain. An outage is an activation of a protective device. It is not a customer losing power. We have models for customers losing power, but that data is not quite as good. Outage data is recorded automatically. So when a protective device activates, it gets recorded. We believe that data. Customer data is pretty good with this particular utility, and damage data is not very good with this utility. Ultimately, we want to have models that predict damage data, or damage, so you know how much, how many poles to bring in, how many um, miles of line you're going to need. Well, we, so I'm going to just show the outage information here. Well, what's missing? Trees. Trees are a, a major contributor to outages during hurricanes. Anecdotally, we know that. But we don't have a good way of measuring trees along utility right-of-ways at this, the scale of these four states in a way that we can believe at the 12,000 foot by 8,000 foot grid cell level. Now, there's a recent EPRI report about using uh, remotely sensitive information to try and do that, that had, suggests there's some promise, but it's not cheap to get that for these four states. Um, so we have not directly incorporated measures of tree risk into these models. We've shown in an earlier study that trees are important to system reliability, but we haven't found a good way to include that in this model. So data is limiting with regards to trees here. So major conclusions from these two studies are that trees do have a substantial impact on power system reliability, and we can measure it. If we have the data, we can measure it and provide a basis on which uh, tree trimming programs could be optimized. Now, this particular utility was doing just cyclical. We go in, uh, clear the feeders on basically on a, a set cyclical uh, approach with some adjustment made for location, not too much. Uh, anecdotal information suggests maybe 40 to 80% of power outages are tree induced during wind events like hurricanes. We can estimate the impacts of tree trimming programs on reliability, like I said, when the data's there. And we can estimate outages during a an approaching hurricane. But we'd like to have tree data to try and improve those estimates. But again, it has to be data that's relatively easy to get and appropriate to use at a very wide scale, but still has local detail so that you can do something with it. We don't ask for much. Um, OK, so could you then use that for improved targeted trimming? And our last speaker, I think, was had very good uh, thoughts on this. So we could accurately estimate how likely each tree along the right-of-way is, or at least where the high-risk trees are. Could we go in and do some targeted trimming, not just in, as an emergency response, but in a proactive manner, um, to try and achieve similar reliability improvements relative to what they're currently doing, maybe at reduced cost, which the utilities would love, because this is a major expense for them, um, and hopefully reducing the impacts on trees and communities. Well, what are some major challenges? Lack of good wide-scale data along utility right-of-ways about what kinds of trees are there, what are the tree conditions, and what's the probability of these trees impacting lines? Again, at a very wide scale. I know we can do it locally when we go in and do assessments, but how do we get that data up to the scale of an entire utility system? And can we go from a single tree assessment, which we can do, to doing a right-of-way assessment in an accurate, cost-effective manner? And cost is a real driver for utilities in doing this. Um, and stop talking with utilities, they may be a little reluctant to change their tree trimming approach from what they're used to, where you go in and you clear things out, to doing a more targeted approach. So what would we ideally like to have? 
tree species height and condition along right-of-ways, even if only in some statistical sense. So you can get a species distribution um, for each mile of line, a, a height and age and condition, something like that. If there's some way to get that, that would be uh, great. A method to transform that data into probabilistic estimates of trees impacting lines, that's the sort of thing I can, we can start developing once we have data. Um, then ideally link that up with some method to prioritize tree trimming and, and start thinking about that and doing some cost estimates of how much would you save potentially if you did this. Are you going to save anything or is this just going to be too costly to manage all of this? Because if it's not going to be cost effective, it's not something that's going to happen. So trees do have a substantial measurable impact on power system reliability. The data's there, we can measure it. And that can provide a basis for optimizing tree trimming cycles. We can estimate hurricane-induced power outage as well, even without tree data, even without direct tree data. We have proxies in there, but we don't have the direct tree data we'd like. Current tree trimming programs are costly. Our last speaker showed some of the cost figures, so I'll repeat those. Um, and generally not very risk-based. They're based on go clear the lines in some set cycle with some adjustment for local risk factors, but not a lot. If you have better data, it may allow targeted risk-based trimming programs with potentials for cost reduction and impacts on trees. And I will stop there. This concludes Dr. Seth Geikema's discussion on trees and risk from an engineering perspective. If you would like more information on assessing the risk of trees, you can purchase the complete Trees and Risk conference proceedings on DVD from the ISA. This DVD has audio and video recordings of all of the topics presented, along with their PowerPoint presentations and handouts that they've provided. The ISA also offers a full line of books on tree risk assessment, including Nelda Matheny and Jim Clark's A Photographic Guide to the Evaluation of Hazard Trees in Urban Areas. If you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA9198. Again, SA9198. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge traditional skills and modern techniques whatever language you speak you have a world to offer every day climb with the isa